Welcome to the Mindfuckery podcast, which is featured in Feedspot's Top 20 Emotional Abuse Podcasts. I'm your host, Elizabeth. In here, we explore areas that others fear to tread. We talk about the mindfuck that was your life, and we talk honestly about what happened, because beautiful soul, these honest conversations are key to creating the life you were born to live. I wrote my first book, Finding Lily, sat on a beach in Greece, as my marriage was crumbling around me. My second book, The A to Z of Emotional Abuse, followed as I discovered a new language, words and phrases that I had no idea existed and I realized had been my reality. My third book, Divorce Matters, has been written to support you through this process. It's an important part. You can get the clothes you need, heal the emotional wounds, and because your divorce matters are important as well, getting all the information, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's, you can start to create a life you deserve to live. I'm founder of the Divorce Sanctuary and Wound Talking. I've been a woundologist for over 20 years, working with past life wounds, clearing ancestral trauma and working with this life wounding. And I'm on a mission to help educate as many people as I can on the effects of trauma on our lives and our children's lives and healing the wounds of our fathers. It stops here, it stops now and it stops with us. So welcome along for the journey of a lifetime. Welcome to episode 11 of the second series of the Mindfuckery podcast. And I really want to talk about the power of words, the effect that they have on you, the wounds that they can create on you. And I've recorded something similar for YouTube. I used a scene from, I'd been watching a series called This Is Us. I don't know whether you've seen it. It has concluded now. I promise I won't spoil the the, the whole pro, program or series. I started watching it a few years ago. It's about a family who adopt a son who's thought to be born on the same day that the parents lost one of their triplets. And it flips backwards and forwards in time, recalling memories of the people and the characters and the relationships that they have now to the ones that they had growing up the battles that the children had as young children and as teenagers and then into young adults. It's about their hopes and their dreams and their fears. It reminded me of the way that I'd written Finding Lily. The character that I'd created was sat in a coffee shop and she sits down at a table and picks up on the emotions of a young woman who's sat opposite her and she tunes in energetically and it brings up memories which help her eventually heal. So I was watching this episode and it leads up to the meeting of Kate Pearson which is one of the triplets and her ex and in previous episodes you witness the emotional abuse it might be in a different um, season as well you witness the emotional abuse that took place leading her family to follow her as she made a call to her mother and Kate is 18. She was in a relationship with a co-worker called Mark and they'd worked in a record shop and it's following the death of Kate's father. He died a few months before and she'd put off going to music college because of this and there's this scene where the couple are traveling to the family's cabin, Kate's family's cabin, when they have an argument. And Mark stops the car. He makes Kate get out. 
And then she walks to a petrol station or gas station. And from there, she calls her mother. But before she can say anything, the boyfriend turns up. He persuades Kate that everything's fine, they're fine, and they can continue. Feeling that something isn't quite right, her mother asks Kate's brothers to go with her to the cabin and cancels a meal that she was intending to have for her birthday. This is the mother's birthday. So Kate gets in the car, Mark apologises and says, you know I love you, right? And it's really snowy and the road to the cabin is closed as Kate's mother and her brothers are trying to get through to there. So they have to turn back, but they do go back the following day and they find a cold cabin. They find Kate wearing gloves. And over a period of time, it transpires that Mark was asked not to use a certain mug, which had been her father's. And so being the character that he is, and you might recognise this, he appears to be high up on the narcissistic trait spectrum. He's playing with it. He's flipping around. He's going, oh, what, not this mug sort of thing. And he's like flipping it between his hands. Kate, I think, was washing up or she was doing something. And you hear a smash. Was it an accident or was it deliberate? We don't get to see that bit, but it makes Kate upset. She then gets or makes a comment about him being unemployed and he that he's then shouting at her. So she decides to go outside and get some wood. And as she moves, he makes a comment about her weight. So when her family arrive the next day, they find that she's wearing gloves. This is actually to hide a cut on her hand. And it's revealed over the episode that he locked her out of the cabin in the snow and she then had to break in. And this is why the cabin's cold because the glass is broken. Then she's had to break in. She's broken a window to try and get back in and she's cut her hand. So there she is 20 years later. She's having a conversation about what's happened with her husband. She then reveals to him, probably for the first time ever, the true state of the relationship she had with Mark and the abuse that took place. And her husband can't quite understand why she's never told him about this relationship, this guy Mark. Why, when they've spoken about their past, she's never, ever said a word about it. And she eventually, I think she starts thinking and then she gets online and you can see her like searching on Facebook and um, trying to find him. And she actually tracks him down. And she asks her husband to drive her to the city where he's now living and to the shop where he now works. And she gets out of the car and there he is outside this shop. He's having a cigarette and she approaches him and tells him who she is. And then the program cuts to another scene and it shows you that a while after their relationship was over, she went to his apartment and he believed that she wanted to get back together. And you also witness Kate discovering that she's pregnant at 18 and having to make decisions about what to do, hiding everything from her family as they'd been through so much, the death of their father. Um, She's lying to her mother about what had happened, what she'd done. She's probably very probably dying inside as she listens to her mother chat away about the weekend she'd had this the same weekend that she decided to um, terminate the pregnancy and her mother's chatting away about the time she'd spent with Kate's brothers and what they got up to and where they'd been and what they'd eaten 
And you then come back to present day, Kate's walking towards Mark, uh, standing outside the shop, having a cigarette. And she says, uh, can I ask her a question? And he says, okay, sure. And she says, what do you remember about our relationship? When you look back at it, what do you remember about our, our relationship, I mean? And, and he says, really, is that what you've come for? And she then she says, do you know what? Forget it, Mark. And he says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. When I look back on it, were we in love? You had great taste in music. And he says, you were broken in all the right places. And then he goes on to say, yeah, things got intense at times, but we were kids. And then she stops for a moment and pauses. And she says, no, I was a kid. She was 17, 18 years old. She said, you were a 24 year old man. And she said, I wasn't broken. I was grieving my dad had just died. And she says, I was destroyed and I was vulnerable and you knew it and you liked it. And then he goes to interrupt her and she says, no, I'm not finished. She says, what you did to me, how you held my self-esteem in your hand and then you decided to crush it and damage me. She says, for years I swallowed my dreams, my feelings and a lot of food. And she says, look at me. And she gestures to the size. And um, she is an obese woman. And then she says, you need to get this. She said, the time it took me to heal from you stole years from me. And I can't get those back. And she said, it took me a while, but I found someone who loves me the way I deserve to be loved. I have a son and a husband. And I am not the one who's broken. You are. And then she says, you're the disease and I'm not carrying it a moment longer, so I give it back to you. Good luck with it, Mark. And if I think about it, I'm fairly sure I sat on the edge of this uh, sofa, waving my hands around, cheering her on for being so powerful. And the reason I wanna talk about it is I'm doing a talk on Saturday, and the title of that is Whose Life Is It Anyway? So it's a play on words from the comedy show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? The words we hear, hear growing up are so important and they mold us. We live in a thesis state up until the age of seven or eight years old and this is a hypnotic state. As adults we do experience this on a daily basis, it's when we go to sleep and there's a point as we're going down, I think it's 90 minute sessions that we sleep and you'll go drop down and into a relaxed state and one of those stages will be theta when you're sleeping or dreaming, you can actually go into theta um, in a meditative state as well. But the power of words, if we're hearing as a child that we're not good enough, or if we are berated, if we're picked upon, if we're the scapegoat, this all affects us. And if we're in this theta state at the time, we take this on as the truth. And because of how old we are and how we're receiving this information we're not able to process it in a way of saying why are you saying that to me that's really hurtful or I can see that my parents are in a really bad mood and that's why they're saying the things they're saying we're not able to do that young children think that their parents are protecting them they might not be young children think that their parents can fix anything if you're a parent have has your child bought you something expecting you to be able to create or perform miracles you know something is really broken and there's no way that you can fix it back you put it back together again and they hand it over the child's brain living in that state takes everything on as the truth so if they hear these words that they're not good 
good enough or they perceive because this can be done in an energetic state as well where they receive an energy from a parent saying that they're not good enough they can feel the difference I'm a woundologist and I've been studying and doing this for like over 20 years so I I work with wounds so I help people heal those wounds they're emotional wounds much like physical wounds but you put me in an A&E department I wouldn't have a clue probably wouldn't last very uh, long I'd be on the floor or saying to someone can I sit on the on the edge of your bed because I think I'm going to faint these wounds these emotional wounds cause pain in our bodies and then not only that we go on to uh, allow these wounds to run our life and so the statement that Kate made was so powerful to me and I started to think about the journeys that we take. And you might remember hearing words. You might think, I didn't say that. You did. You might remember recoiling at the language that you heard uh, directed at you. You might remember words and feeling like they were a personal attack. I've had that before where I actually felt the venom behind the words I felt like I was being stabbed in the heart emotionally abusive people will tell you everybody thinks that it might be that you're mad or bipolar or insecure that you have low self-esteem they might say they're wondering why you're still together you add in whichever you know what you heard you might be a variation of that they might even suggest that other family members have raised concerns about your behavior or that they are concerned about the way that you behave Words can be used to devalue you, to coerce you, to tell you that you're crazy or paranoid. These land like physical wounds in your body and words are used to belittle you. And you might have had somebody laugh at you or at what you were saying. Words can also be used like weapons. And I've always described these emotionally abusive relationships like a game of chess. The abuser is always looking at the board, planning their next move. They've lined you up for a fall. They then come in, they rescue you. You believe that the person that is abusing you is the one that's protecting you. People don't realise how powerful words are. As children, we're sponges and everything we hear, we take on as the truth. Everything we see, we believe to be true, that that's the way things happen. As I said, we live in this hypnotic state, this theta state, and this is where our programming happens. And that is amazing if it comes from really healthy people that surround us, but it's not so great if it doesn't. And you might even scrape by if you had good enough parents, but it's the emotional abuse, the words that you hear, the feelings that you get, and that you experience in childhood that say, it's okay to be treated like this. It's okay for you to treat me like this. Kate puts down her relationship to being uh, the grief that she was experiencing. That isn't the case for everybody. That isn't the case for a lot of people that end up in these relationships. Your self-esteem was stripped away with words, not fists. It might have been both and you might not have self-esteem now and you might believe that you're not worthy of anything. And actually having a conversation with somebody today about this, Kate says in the scene, the time it took me to heal from you stole years from me and I can't get them back. And this is why the healing is so crucial. It doesn't matter if you're going to see this person again or not. They steal so much. And one of the hardest parts of dealing with this type of relationship 
is trying to heal and living in fear of how you're going to survive. The loneliness that comes with this. And then you're watching your abuser living their best life and it looks like they haven't got any worries. And you lose years of your life waiting for them maybe to come back because that's what they did. They trained you in that cycle of abuse to wait for them. And you're not healing your wounds. You're not living your life. I felt like, Kate, that I'd lost years. I'd had them stolen from me and that I couldn't get those back. I'd had to reconcile those emotions, forgive myself, acknowledge what happened and dig really deep to heal those wounds. And it's these wounds that can end up running our lives. Whose whose line is it anyway? Whose wound is it anyway? I think I've done a podcast on that. And whose life is it anyway? And this is how we can end up in those relationships. It might be the way that we've made been made to feel. It might be the things that have been said to us, you know, could have been the scapegoat of the family. We could have experienced a dysfunctional family growing up. These wounds can be handed down like battens from family member to family member. When I first started working with wounds 20 something years ago, I was doing past life wounding that was affecting us in in this life. Uh, Then I moved on about 10 to 13 years ago doing ancestral wounding and clearing those to where we are or where I am today. And through my own experiences, you know, I know how important it is because you just get, you can get stuck and lose so much repeating and going over those statements. And this is why when I do wound talking and I talk about wound talking, about listening to those wounds and hearing the voices behind them, because once you start to hear who said it, you can start to challenge. Is that really true? Do Is that really true about me? Am I whatever it is that you believe that's holding you? And you can pop those beliefs, those statements, like you can pop a balloon and dissolve them. And I've mentioned many times how I was accused of being uh, bipolar. And when I was able to stop myself, it took me six years to work out oh my gosh, that relationship was practically a lie start to end. So if that was a lie, I'm holding on to this thought pattern, this belief, I do play with my energy. I do like to keep it at a high vibration. However, I also know that it was probably, it was at the end of the relationship. It was probably an excuse as to why that relationship was ending and a good reason to get out. And that was gone. And you can do that yourself stay grounded make sure you are in your body it's so important to be in and feel from your body not in your head and be completely aware of who's running your life when you come out of these relationships you've been stripped of every emotion and every developmental stage it's my belief they take you and strip you back to that of an emotional state of a toddler even younger in some cases Who is running your life? Is it a three-year-old? It's about healing these wounds. You can reclaim that back. You can repair. In fact, it's an ideal time to reparent yourself and be the parent that you might have needed. Talk to yourself in a way that you might have needed to be nurtured and spoken to and heard and seen. It's an ideal opportunity. Stay grounded breathe through the pain and check in with who's actually running your life. And as I said, wounds can run them as well. You might have wounds of injustice. 
and that is running the next stage of it might be your divorce it might be the separation so take a deep breath in feel your feet on the floor feel the roots coming out of your feet and grounding in like they're holding you up like a really strong tree and feel the strength and the nurturing energy of mother nature coming up and feeding you and feeding your soul and just be very very gentle with yourself and nurture yourself like you would a toddler you need to go and get in the bath do that if you need to go and get an ice cream do it what do you need and then start looking at your needs and that is going to be really difficult because this might be the very first time in your life that you've ever put yourself first words are powerful they can tear us down but they also have the ability to build us up to build our self-esteem to create the future that we want to say the words that we need to hear i hope this has been helpful if you want to find out more ways of working with me reach out i will try and find the link to the youtube video that i did on kate pearson and i'm sending you loads and loads and loads of love until next time